morning. Please be seated. Peace be with you. Jesus uses this phrase three times in today's gospel, each time in very different ways and for different purposes. Remember that the disciples are barely three days removed from the crucifixion behind a closed and locked door. Mary Magdalene had just come from the tomb with the fairly startling and confusing announcement, I have seen the Lord. I can imagine the disciples looking at her and thinking, well, you know, she had all those demons before. Their fear almost paralyzes them. Fear of both the known and the unknown. Only Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved venture out. They know he died and was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And they also know that those who killed Jesus will probably come for them soon, but they don't know when. When Jesus eventually does appear to them a little later, naturally they must have been shocked and more than a little frightened. He had died after all. His words, peace be with you, come as a message of relief. Look, it's me. Death has not won. I am right here with you. He shows his hands and his side, and the rejoicing begins. Can you imagine? Laughter, backslapping, hugging all around. Peace had come to them all. Then Jesus speaks to them again with the same words. Peace be with you. But this time he uses it to get the disciples' attention and to preface his next words. This is a more permanent peace to last beyond the euphoric rush of relief they were still feeling. As the Father sent me, so I send you. I imagine more than a couple of the disciples looked at each other, and swallowed hard. Now they know what that sending actually entails. And Jesus knows they will need some help if they are to accept his invitation to continue his work. So then Jesus breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. That verb for breathe is emphaseo and is only found a couple of other times in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God breathed into the man's nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 9, prophesy to the breath, mortal, thus says the Lord God, breathe upon these slain that they may live. And those dry bones came together and lived. It is literally a life force. Now, while all of this has been happening with the group, poor old Thomas has been gone. Maybe he had been with the group in hiding, or maybe he had decided to go back to his own life. 
Maybe he had just drawn the short straw and been sent on a beer and chips run. When he does return to the group, they tell him, we have seen the Lord. Remember, Mary had said the same thing to them earlier. I think my reaction to those words might have been just like Thomas's. What? You're lying. It can't be. You're just pulling my chain. I don't believe you, and I won't believe you until I see it for myself. Well, Thomas was probably still fuming when Jesus appeared among them again with yet another, peace be with you. It's as if Jesus came back just for Thomas. This time, Jesus' greeting comes as an appeal to the peace of reconciliation. Thomas is mad for two reasons. Either he might have missed out on the biggest event of his life, or his dearest friends are playing a really cruel trick on him and won't let him off the hook. The disciples are mad at Thomas because he just won't believe them. Jesus offers peace and physical proof to Thomas, but Thomas's doubts are immediately gone. Thomas's fears vanish with his acclamation of Jesus as my Lord and my God. No one else, not even Peter, had realized that little piece of Christology yet. Peace is again restored among the group, more hugging and backslapping all around. Our concept of peace today is a little different. We think of peace for ourselves as a calm, happy feeling. And in the broader world, peace means for us the absence of war or conflict. But that's not exactly the kind of peace that Jesus had in mind. Jesus invited his disciples to engage in the same kind of peacemaking that they had witnessed in his life and mission. To work for the inclusion of the ostracized, the love of one's enemies, and the end of injustice for the oppressed. We are inundated every day by news of violence and conflict, both here and abroad. It seems the whole world is falling apart, and we are afraid, just as the disciples were afraid. I think sometimes we would all like to find some safe room in which to hide with our friends. In his book entitled Peace, Walter Brueggemann defines this kind of fear. He writes, Fear does strange things to people. It makes us withdraw to a fetal position. It makes us say things and do things that do not honor us. It makes us hurt one another. All because we fear the world is falling apart. Fear is our modern form of atheism. Fear that there is no order but the one I invent. The disciples had an advantage over us in that they knew and lived with Jesus, the man. They talked with him, ate with him, traveled with him, watched him die, and saw him rise. We don't have that kind of tactile experience with Jesus. 
So it's very easy for us to fall back into Dr. Brueggemann's kind of fear. When things get bad, as they always do, it's easy to forget what we do have that connects us to the disciples. We have Jesus' blessing. From that same night, he showed himself to Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. That's us today, right here, right now. More than once in his life, Jesus prayed not only for his contemporaries, but for all those who would come to believe in him down through the centuries. Just as he breathed on his disciples huddled in that room so long ago, Jesus sends us the same advocate, the Holy Spirit, to comfort us when we are weak, when we have doubts, when we are afraid. He sends us peace. You know, the kind that passes understanding. To strengthen us as we face this increasingly fearful world. In his poem, The Second Coming, W.B. Yeats wrote, Things fall apart, the sinner cannot hold. He was writing during the horror of the First World War, when anarchy, fear, and hatred were really coming into the fore. It seems at times as if things here will fall apart, that our center, almost exactly a hundred years after Yeats, cannot hold. Fear and hatred have returned in full force. Living as Christians in this world is getting more and more dicey. If we call ourselves Jesus' disciples, we must be willing to commit to Jesus' kind of peacemaking. The kind of peacemaking that brings the outcast and the marginalized into the fold. Black and white and brown, rich and poor and middle class, gay and straight and transgender, Christian and Muslim and Jew, living together in real peace. This is the same kind of peacemaking that got Jesus killed. It will be as costly and challenging today as it was a century or 20 centuries ago. But if we hold Jesus' peace as our center and remember that Christ prayed for us and blessed us and died so that our poor doubting souls might live with him in eternal life, then maybe we can face the world with a little less fear. Shalom. Salaam. Namaste. Peace, y'all.